0: Good morning all, once again, so nice to see you. Welcome, uh, I forgot to mention earlier, guests. If we have uh, guests or first-time friends here today, welcome, glad you could join us. Uh, If you would like to, uh, the break has come and gone, but before you leave this morning, uh, take a walk back to our information table there if you're a, a guest this morning we have some CDs of Vineyard worship music, and those are gifts. We'd love to give you one just for being here today. I will also just follow up a little bit on the announcement about the, uh, the regional conference. So, uh, you know, Vineyard is sort of broken into regions, and every other year there's a national conference, which was this year, and then the odd years is a regional conference in the northwest region. So that will be, uh, we will be kind of semi-hosting that conference next summer, it won't be here in this building, but some friends of ours attend a church called Grace Chapel in Wilsonville, and they have graciously offered to to let us uh, take over their building for a few days. So our region is made up of Washington, Oregon, Northern California, Nevada, and Hawaii. I know the Northwest. Uh, so here's the deal. Here's the deal. Some of our some some of our folks coming from some of those places, um, you know, are on a budget, so we'll have hotel rooms available and camping available, but some of them would really appreciate uh, a place to stay, especially the folks from Hawaii, because obviously it costs them a little more to get here than everybody else. So if you would be willing, it's, it's a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, three days. If you have a guest room in your home and you would be open to hosting, we would love to, uh, to open those homes to folks. Uh, it's, it would be especially probably beneficial... If you're thinking about attending the conference, and it's open to anybody, anybody can be there. That's why Save the Date is a good idea. You can you can go and you can drive back and forth with them. But it's always a great deal, hosting families in your home. I love that. Get to talk and get to meet somebody new and really hear what God's doing. And maybe, who knows, you get an invite to Hawaii if you're lucky, right? So uh, let's do that. So hey, if you've not been with us um, for, I don't know, a couple, three months now, we we were going through the book of James, and that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed James. Uh, we, we learned a lot about uh, who James is and kind of his heart and passion for the kingdom of God and for the community of God. So we finished James up last uh, Sunday, but I said I wanted to revisit some of the themes in James and go a little deeper with those than uh, we were able to. So today we're going to do that. We talked in James about God's will, if you recall, and we'll review that But I felt like God's will, uh, knowing what God's will is, was an important enough subject to revisit a little bit. So we're actually going to take at least a couple weeks today and next Sunday and who knows after that. But a a little bit deeper look into God's will. I think it's important. Uh, God's will for, for many of us, probably most of us here, something we pray about, pray for every day. This is one of our favorite prayers around here. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray that prayer, we're praying for God's kingdom, His his rule, His rulership to come into our lives today. And for His will, God has an ultimate perfect will that will someday in the future be accomplished uh, fully and totally. And we're asking God to release a little bit of that will into our lives today. So that's a, an important and a powerful prayer that we pray often, and I think it's helpful to know what God's will is. The passion, passage in James, you might recall, was in James 4. And he said, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we'll go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, make money. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. Anybody identify with that part at all? Yeah, I, I do. I, I, we're going to go here, we're going to do that, we're going to make plans, right? We kind of plan our life out, we got everything set. Truth of the matter is, we don't know what might happen tomorrow. Um, what is your life? You're a mist that appears a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes all such boasting is evil. Uh, James again. I mean, he just doesn't. You know, he just, its kind of like Bonnie this morning. He just doesn't. Just cuts right through. You know, uh, he tells it like it is. You. I'm just. You, you're in good company. Um. I. You know, it's. Let's just say this. I. I. I think it's a. It's a powerful statement to say it's evil. But the truth is this: that very often, um, our will and God's will are are two different things, and sometimes. We don't like to acknowledge that. Let's be honest. As as human beings, so we're all in the same boat, okay? I'm not pointing a finger at anybody. I think as human beings, we all have this tendency to kind of presume upon God, to make plans, to sort of set a course for ourselves. And sometimes we sort of presume that uh, what we want, our will and God's will, are one and the same. And sometimes we will ask God for his will. What is your will? Uh, but, but really, really underneath it all, what we're really asking is for God to give his stamp of approval on our will. We sort of have it all figured out, and we're just kind of asking for the green light to go ahead, rather than being more open, like James says here, and saying, hey, uh, you know, if it's God's will, we might do this or that, but Lord, we're, we're not sure. Um, my fr- I have a not a friend. He's actually kind of a... You know how you... you know, I, one of my favorite theologians, I, listen, I read a lot of his books and I listen to him online, Is a guy named Greg Boyd. I, you feel like he's your friend because I never talk to him, but he talks to me a lot. But Boyd says we sometimes uh, we live as functional atheists. Uh, that's, that's, again, pretty harsh, but the truth is when we profess Christ and we say we, we're obedient to Jesus, but we go ahead and, and direct the course of our own lives, uh, essentially we're living as functional atheists. We're not really following after God. So in, in James, in this passage, I think the, one of the most fundamental challenges that we looked at here related to God's will is not even knowing God's will as much as how are we going to respond once we do know what it is. Are we really going to uh, be willing to let go of our plans and our will and and give our lives to Christ and follow His will. Uh, do, do we really want to submit to Jesus as Savior and Lord? John Wimber used to say, you can't have one without the other. Uh, when, we, when we accept Christ into our hearts, we accept Him as Lord and Savior. We like the Savior part sometimes. I like that, because that alternative to that doesn't sound good to me. So that's good, but the Lord part really implies that I then have submitted myself to Him. He's the Lord of my life and and I really will do what He wants me to do, not what I want to do. And sometimes that part's a little harder to swallow for us. Jesus is our example in all things. And um, in this as well, one of the just most profound verses, I think, in Scripture. Again, Jesus is uh, on the cross. Or is this is just before going to the cross. And he says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. He, he recognizes right here. My will and God's will are not the same. If I had the choice, I wouldn't do this. And yet he says, but not my will, your will be done. And that's our example. We want to we be able to say, okay, Lord, I'll lay down my will in behalf of your will. We also looked briefly at Colossians 1 talking about God's will. For this reason... Since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. And this is what Paul's praying for the Colossian church. He says this is what he's praying. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. And the point of that verse, I believe, is that the will of God is revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. It's, it's revelatory. It's a spiritual reality. It's not something that we can be smart enough to figure out. You can be as smart as you can be or as smart as anybody can be. It's not a matter of intelligence or knowledge. It's not something we can, we can uh, deductively reason or figure out on our own. It's really given to us by the Holy Spirit. So with that in mind this morning, I, I want to talk about how... How do we receive that? How do we come to know God's will? And there, there are multiple ways, but the first way that we do is God's will and God's word. So I want to talk a little bit about God's will and God's word today. Let's, uh, let's pray, and we'll do that. Father, thanks for your word. Open our hearts to receive from you this morning, Lord, all that you have for us, uh, that your will w- really would be done here, that you would guide us and lead us by your spirit. Amen. So... Um, Paul's prayer again in Colossians is that we would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. To be filled with it, not that we would guess at it, or you know. Sometimes I think a lot of us sort of live life kind of on the uh, you know ready fire aim right. You know, you, you shoot now and and line stuff up later. Let's figure it out. Um, how how are we then, if that's our prayer, to be filled with the will of God? Uh, I think the the most fundamental way that we come to know God's will really is in His Word. That's the baseline. The most fundamental way is God's Word. God's Word is the ultimate criteria by which we establish whether something is God's will or not. The, uh, one of my favorite verses is in Psalm 119. Psalm 119, again, is an extended uh, sort of song of praise to the Word of God. And in the middle of that... And you've heard this verse before. You've heard it sung before. Uh, Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light to my path. I love that little picture I found there. I wish you could see it better. But the, the image of that verse really is, is that. It's, it's a, an oil lamp. And I don't know if you've ever been camping or out in the wilderness where you're walking and that lamp really lights up a little bit of the path ahead of you. And you can kind of see the next step or maybe the next couple steps. You know, today we sort of have these big spotlights and lights up everything. You can see everything. But he's not talking about that. He's talking about this little lamp where there really is a sense of faith required. If you've ever been in that place, I remember, you know, as a kid camping and having to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night and, and you've got a flashlight, and you're trying to find your way, you know what I mean? And you can only see a step or two, and it takes a little bit of faith, and you're kind of walking like this. And that's really the image there, that it's dark out, and we can only see a little bit ahead. God's Word is lighting for us, but we really do have to trust in Him. It's step by step. Now, God speaks to His people, and we, uh, we believe that, don't we? How many of you believe God speaks to you? Amen. Amen. Good for you. Amen. Um, We're committed to that here. We're committed with this morning. We leave space in our service every week uh, for God to speak and people to share. We believe God gives us words for one another. He'll speak to our own hearts. He speaks to us in a variety of ways. Um, Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever felt like God was speaking to you and then you found out you were wrong? Some of you are honest. Some of you just lie. You know what I mean? good job Shane your wife made you do that good girl Sarah look let's be honest God speaks to us yes we, we, we know that but th- that's a that's a subjective process and hearing his voice is a challenge sometimes we're wrong how many of you ever had a prophetic word from somebody else that, was, that didn't happen I have so let me what, what, what went wrong was God wrong Probably not. Can we just say probably not? Um, no, I think what happens is we we sometimes miss it. We sometimes hear wrong. So, you know, hearing from God is is a gift. It's a gift of the Spirit, but it's also a skill. It's also an art. It's also a cultivated practice. God gives us that ability to hear from Him, but we really have to learn how to tune in and hear His voice, don't we? We, we know that. Those of you that have been in this thing for a while, you realize that, okay, I've, I've, I'm learning how God speaks. I'm learning to hear His voice. And, I, and it's a process that we grow in. I've had opportunity in my life to interact with, uh, you know, really over the last 30, 40 years, some of the most prophetically gifted people probably out there anywhere. And, and the truth of the matter is this, at times, they all got it wrong. I mean, every one of them got it wrong sometime or another. Uh, sometimes, here's the deal, that still small voice that we hear is really our own voice. Sometimes we... We want something so badly. We hope for something so badly. I mean, I I will relate relate this to healing uh, because it's it's one of those things that we can identify with. We want someone to be healed so badly, you know, and it's a good desire. It's not a bad desire, but we want that. And so we begin to project that. And so sometimes we'll say, well, you know, God says this person's going to be healed or something like that. It's a desire in our heart. But it might not be what God's saying right now. And we, we, get, we get a little confused with that. So, so let me say this, and, and, and here's the point that I wanted to make, is that hearing God's voice must be subject to and congruent with God's Word. Uh, what we hear from God subjectively has to be consistent with what God's Word teaches. So that means a couple of things to us. One thing it means is this: that there's some things that we really don't need to pray about. What? Yeah, I think there's some things we don't really need to pray about because they're already determined. If you look at, you guys got that? You note takers down here. Look at this. these guys are good students, man. They take notes. You guys should don't be taking notes. Ephesians five: Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave Himself for us. As a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God, if, if if there's somebody that I encounter that's, say, I have a coworker, kind of annoying. Do do I need to love that person? Yeah, I do. It's not really something I need to pray about. God, do I have to love this guy? No, it's pretty much determined. Bible says I really do need to pray. I need to love that person. Now I might want to pray, Lord, give me the give me the strength to love this person. I may pray and ask God to show me how to love this person but I don't have to pray about whether or not I have to love this person I have to love them that's pretty much determined Um, should I live a generous life or should I live a kind of a stingy life well according to scripture God says I should live a generous life that's what he's called his people to do is to be a generous people I don't have to pray about that that's just there I, I I can know that up front I have to live a generous life. That's what God's called me to do. That's already been decided. Um, Should I lie or tell the truth? Who said lie? No, look, it's already decided. I don't have to pray about that. I don't have to think about that. You know what that means, kids? That that means we have to be honest on our tax returns. That means we have to be honest on our job applications. That means as Christians, we have to be honest people. We're supposed to tell the truth. We're not supposed to lie. That's not what God's called us to be about. That's predetermined. You don't need to pray about that. Is it okay for me to do this? No, it's not okay. We're supposed to be honest about those things. That's what God's called us to do. Should I be faithful to my spouse, or should I have this affair, even though this person is just so... Attractive to me. Well, that's already determined. That's not a a question mark. I've had people tell it was God's will. You know what? No, it wasn't. It wasn't God's will. That was your will, buddy. Uh, Should I be humble or arrogant? It's already determined. God's called his people to be humble people. That's who we are in Christ. All of these things are things we don't need to pray about. We don't need to think about. They're predetermined. They're in God's word. We know that. Now, that said, there are a lot of other issues that aren't so clear that the Bible doesn't speak to so directly that require more discernment, and we have to we have to be careful. I just I want to say this as we as we read God's word, we have to be really careful about. It's, it's possible, let me just say that it's possible to misunderstand God's Word. It's even possible to abuse God's Word to fulfill our will, not His will. Does that make sense to you? I've had the uh, misfortune over the course of my ministerial career to... Um, chat with any number of young women who have told me that my husband says I have to have sex with him whenever he wants because God says I have to submit. That is an abuse of God's Word. One, One of the challenges that we face, to be honest, in determining God's will from God's Word is that very often in our culture today, we, we read it in isolation and we come to our own determination of what it means. We read the Bible alone, and so we are the final, we, we are the, we, we are the final judge of what this is saying to us. I want to say this to you, um, the authors of Scripture, the people who wrote these letters and these books, would never ever have conceived of that happening. Do you know why? Because no one had their own Bible. Okay? No one had their own Bible. For the first 1500 years of Christian history, uh, people didn't have books. Books were very, very, very expensive. Why? Because they had to be copied by hand. No one had books except the, the wealthiest people. Uh, and because of that, because books were so rare, uh, literacy rates were lower. The people that wrote the Bible would never have conceived of a person sitting in a room somewhere reading the Bible and coming to determination of what it means. They would have only conceived of being read out loud in community. Revelation chapter 1 uh, points to that. It says, Blessed is the one who, what, reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear it. Take to heart what it is written in it. It's read aloud. In, in the early church, remember when Jesus went into the synagogue, what did he do? He unrolled the scroll and he read it out loud. When the church would gather, and really, not just the early church, but 1,500 years of the church, uh, only when you know, Gutenberg invented the printing press, and from then on, did people, could people go to the store and buy their Bible and take it home and read it? Um, the, the scripture was read in community out loud and it was discussed and talked about. And the Bible uh, clearly tells us that we need to do that. We need to read and study in community. I'll be honest, the Bible also talks about the value of teachers. Now, it, the teachers have a higher, a higher level of judgment on them. We talked about that in James. Uh, it's important for teachers to make sure they get it right. But again, we, we process together in community. We don't process individually. And when we do that, there's much less opportunity for us to come up with some wacky interpretation. So I just want to say I think it's important to, look, discerning God's will is an important thing, isn't it? The stakes are fairly high at times. Isn't, aren't, isn't that true? Should I marry this person or not marry this person? Should I take this job or not take this job? Should I move my family across the country? Those are big decisions. If God's will is a part of that decision, we want to do everything we can to get it right. And if God's word is the ultimate way by which we determine that, we want to get that right too. Let me make sure uh, you're not uh, hearing me say something I'm not. Um, we should read the Bible on our own. It's okay. All right, be be at peace. Uh, you, it's it's great to have your your almost probably all of us at some you know sometime during the day have some. Uh, you know, some Bible study habit where we read on our own. And, and I, want, I, want to, I want to encourage you in that. I'm not discouraging you in that. All I'm saying is that shouldn't be the only way. You really should. You, you, it's, it's perfectly fine to have your devotional time, to have your quiet time, to read the Bible, to study the Bible on your own. But you should also do that in the context of community. Um, because in the uh, famous words of John Wimber, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. And uh, sometimes we can come to think we know something that we don't. Don't assume that what you think the Bible says is what it means. We want to be responsible. We want to be humble. Uh, We want to look a little deeper. We want to read in community. We want to consider context. We want to consider culture. We want to consider background. We want to consider literary devices. Uh, Is this verse descriptive or prescriptive? Is this verse general truth or universal truth? Uh, these are, these are important things. These are important things. Here's a little take home for you. A text without a context is a pretext for a proof text. Boom. Text without a context is a pretext for a proof text. I heard uh, about a uh, young woman who started a business, and she was very excited about it. A very creative uh, type. And uh, it started off really well. A few months, she was, you know, was doing good, it was getting going, and then all of a sudden, some things kind of got out of order a little bit, and, and uh, it ended up going sideways, and she ended up having to shut the business down and, and actually filed bankruptcy and lost money on the deal. Very, very, very disillusioned. Very disillusioned young lady because she had uh, really prayed about this business and felt that God had given her... Um, a text for her business, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans, sounds pretty straightforward, doesn't it, uh, do you think it's possible to commit to the Lord what you do, and have your plans not succeed, yeah, yeah, I think it is, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's an interpretive principle that goes with that verse that we have to understand. Otherwise, you're going to end up being where she was. Very disillusioned and in some, in some ways blaming God for the failure of a business that really was not God's fault. I want to give you another example. We've got a few more minutes, so I'll give you one more example. Um, it's kind of a controversial one, but hey, what fun would it be if we didn't do controversial ones, right? Um, 1 Timothy chapter 2, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. That's one of the more volatile passages in Scripture, especially over the last 10 years or so. Uh, Recent history, more and more denominations have made decisions uh, to ordain women, to allow women to function in various areas of leadership in the life of the church. Uh, Our movement that we're a part of, the Vineyard, in 2006, prior to that, it was a little bit ambiguous. We never had a statement that said women couldn't be in leadership, but we never really had one that said they could either. So it was sort of um, undetermined. But in 2006, Vineyard Board of Directors said, "...in response to the message of the kingdom, the leadership of the Vineyard movement will encourage, train, empower women at all levels of leadership." both local and translocal. The movement as a whole welcomes the participation of women in leadership in all areas of ministry. So we have in the Vineyard Movement today across the nation and around the world uh, senior pastors of churches that are women uh, in the Northwest here. Our regional overseer is Rose Swetman in Seattle. She is, she is a woman. And uh, again, uh, some people have a hard time with that because of this verse, and at face value, it appears as though that would be a violation of Scripture to ordain women or even allow a woman to speak in the life of the church, which we have had that here. Now, uh, Donna doesn't preach very often because it's, it's, it's hard for her to. She, when she does, everyone always really likes it, and they always come up to me later and say, hey, you should have Donna preach more often, i go, No, don't talk to the wrong person, um, I would have her all the time if she, if she would be willing to do it, but I didn't know this, but even over the years, there have been people that were concerned about that upset about that because they didn't think she should be speaking. Um, I want to look at the verse that a couple of verses just prior to that verse we just read. First of all, it says, "Therefore I want men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger, disputing. Why don't we just work on that one for a while? Guys, I, I, come on. Uh, Get that done, and then we'll talk about the ladies, all right, gentlemen? Uh, But then he says, I want women to dress modestly, with decency and propriety, adorning themselves, not with elaborate hairstyles, or gold or pearls or expensive clothes. Uh, Do we have any elaborate hairstyles today? I'm not sure what that means, to be honest, but if there are any, does anybody have elaborate? Janet, that's a little elaborate. Just a little flip, a little flip. That is not an elaborate hairstyle. That is not a hairstyle. So, what about, let me ask you, jewelry, ladies, gold jewelry, pearls? If you have those on, uh, you shouldn't have them, but we we have a box over here. You can just drop them in the box, and we'll be glad glad to take those things off your hands for you. Uh, Expensive clothing, I'm not even going to go down that road. I don't even know what that means, if you have expensive clothing. No, here's the point. The point is simply this, that we don't necessarily adhere to that part of this passage but we make such a big deal over the other part. A um, couple things. first of all, first of all, there, is, there are principles we can derive from this passage, okay? There are principles we can derive from this passage. But the issue for us today is that it is culturally relevant. There are issues here uh, it, it, that, were, that were important. Uh, at the time that it was written, in the culture it was written, that aren't as important today. Context must inform theology. Right, Brogan? Context must inform theology. The, uh, this passage, it really as well as the whole Bible, were written in a very, very patriarchal society. Uh, there, there, again, there are principles that can be extracted from this, but let's, let me say this. There are also exceptions to that in Scripture. And anytime there's an exception to something Scripture says, we have to realize that, that that's not a universal truth, it's a cultural truth. OK? So a couple of exceptions to this would be, if you read the Gospel of Luke in chapter one, Mary, who is a young, single, uh, unwed. Teenager writes a song there in praise to God, and that song has been used theologically. It has theological truth in it for centuries. People have pointed to that, and there's theological truth there. Well, uh, she's a woman. Um, There's also a passage in uh, Romans where the Apostle Paul says, Greet Adronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me, they are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. So here, Paul is asking to greet Junia, the apostle, uh, who is obviously a leader in the early church. By, just for the record, in case you're wondering, there is nowhere in Greek literature uh, in the first centuries where the name Junia was ever used for man. It's always a woman's name, just in case you're worried about that so my point is there are exceptions to the rule so therefore you have to determine that the rule is contextual it's not universal is this making sense? are we following? Um, so again here's the deal closing off today God's will is important discerning God's will is an important thing in our lives God's word is important in discerning God's will and so therefore it's important that we get God's word right It it, it is important that we take seriously how we extract meaning from Scripture because it has an influence on how we live our lives. It's super important that we do that. So just in closing today, and we're going to talk more about discerning God's will next week, but for this morning, I want to say this to you, that two things. One is knowing God's will comes from the Holy Spirit. It's a spiritual reality. It, It comes from Him. It doesn't come from us trying to figure it out. Second thing is that It's a process that includes God's voice, God speaks, God's word, and whatever God speaks has to be congruent and consistent with God's word, and it has to be done in community, not in isolation. We can't determine it on our own. Um, Just, you know, anytime you have an important decision and you're trying to determine God's will, I would encourage you very strongly always to get people that you trust in the Lord that you really did trust their ability to hear from God and to discern, and you ask them to pray with you through that process. You don't just pray alone and say, okay, this is what I came up with. Now, when when Donna and I moved here to plant this church, moved from Southern California to here, we had four young children. It was a huge decision. I mean, it was was a life-changing decision. We prayed. We felt like God was giving us that direction. And, and I went to some of the people that I trust the most in the world in terms of their ability to really be mature in Christ and hear from God. And I asked each one of them individually, here's what I think God is saying. What, you know, what do you think? And every one of them to a number came back to me and said, I believe that's the Lord's will. I want you to know something. If, that, if they had not said that, I probably would not be here today. I probably would not have made that decision. Uh, in isolation. As much as I felt it was God, I would not have done that without the counsel of the body of Christ. So that's an an important part of discerning God's will. Uh, Let's stand.